Hey guys, welcome back. This is season five of CGM Lounge, and we're in episode two. And as you guys uh, heard in episode one, we have a brand new co-host, Michael Pay. Hey guys. Yeah, so um, episode one, we talked about the top 50 businesses and some ideas on how to get started. So obviously, once you get your business started, you want to kind of think about a way to scale and sustain this business. And that usually comes in the form of what business plans, right, Mike? Uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Business plan. So a business plan is yeah, uh, <clears throat> helping you prepare for uh, every aspect of the business. And uh, today we're going to showcase this document that details the products and services uh, that you plan to offer and how you can plan to make money and who you need on your team and more. And, and you know, when we get calls, Mike, we get calls from people that are like, hey, I need a business plan. I need this to go to the bank. I need that to do this. In your experience, how, how, has, how has the business plan changed over the last like 10 or 15 years, if at all? Have you seen any changes to how business plans are used, written, how effective they are, et cetera? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. So, so it's changed, it's changed in, in uh, different, aspects different aspects in terms, in terms of, of first, uh, the, the structure, structure uh, hasn't has changed because it gives you kind of the outline on the, the aspects that you need to focus on. What has what changed, changed is the marketing, marketing aspect, aspect uh, different, different ways way of uh, looking, uh, at looking at the market, market research, research and the marketing sales plans. So uh, years ago, it was more old fashioned type of a uh, word of mouth but I, obviously in recent years uh social media platforms such as instagram twitter uh tiktok has been influential so you've seen a lot of uh usage there and uh, other people have used a combination of you know word of mouth uh, in addition to the social media uh, platforms as well so in a way, that has changed, uh, but the overall outline uh, and the structure uh, hasn't changed much. Awesome, awesome. And for your edification, you can reference what we're talking about today at, on nerdwallet.com. Uh, we'll put the, the link in the article at the end of our conversation, so you guys can just jump right to it at the end of the, at the, end of the podcast. But um, so we're going to get into like the elements of a business plan and how that business plan can assist you as you as you make your way through um, kind of framing your business model and getting into uh, the crux of the mechanism of a business. So business is a living, breathing organism. So let's just start there. Like businesses aren't stagnant. They're not 2D. They, they live in three-dimensional realms. They breathe, they suffer, they grow. Um, they have pains, they have growing pains. Like there's gravity in business. So understanding that first can, get, can now give us some type of depth on what a business plan is trying to do, which is kind of narrate the story of this business. So uh, step one <coughs> or part one of a business plan, Mike, uh, we have like write an exec- executive summary. Can you describe what the executive summary does in the business plan? Uh, right, right. Yes. So overall, there's nine steps that we're going to uh, take the audience uh, through. So the first one is uh, write an executive summary, as you mentioned. So this is <laughs> the first page of the business plan. Uh, think of it as your elevator pitch. Uh, it should include a mission statement, a brief description of the products or services offered, and a broad summary of your financial growth plans. Though the executive summary is the first thing your investors will read, it can, easy, it can be easier uh, to write it at last as well. That way you can highlight information you've identified while writing other sections that go into more detail. So, uh, so first off, uh, executive summary kind of gives you an outline of what you're trying to achieve 
uh, when we mentioned the elevator pitch, uh, we're referring to if you're in an elevator uh, pitching your company to a potential client or uh, investor, how would you summarize it in short uh, key bullet points? And what are you trying to get across? So that's what we mean when we uh, mention it in the form of an elevator pitch. Yeah, and just some keys for you guys to understand is writing a business plan. Business plans might be 30, 40, 50 pages long. The main part of the plan, then you might have some appendices to support some of the data that you have. So that might be another 30, 40 pages of like Excel spreadsheets, graphs, maybe uh, cited works that you used inside the plan to, you know, where you got your data from. So any investor or most, you know, bankers, nobody is going to read your entire 100-page or 80-page or 60-page plan. What they're going to do is they're going to go straight to the executive summary. That executive summary is going to be one or two pages, right? And it's going to give them a summary of the entire plan. What's What are some key factors, some key findings, key um, takeaways that the plan is trying to communicate? That way they can get the gist of the plan by reading those one or two pages in the executive summary. The next thing they're going to do is go to your table of contents and look for financial data. <laughs> look for the financial part and yeah. zip straight to that. So executive summary, like Mike said, <clears throat> is your first page, but it's going to be done last so you can really summarize the entirety of the idea into this part because that's where they're going to go first just to get a, a gist. And then nine times out of 10, they're heading straight to the financial part. Um, so we mentioned there's nine parts. Part two, describe your company. So what's, when you say describe my company, it's like what I'm selling, like who's in the company. What, what, what do you mean by that? Sure. So when we talk about describe your company, we mean a company description. So it should contain information such as the business, uh, business's registered name, uh, the address of your business location, and names of key people in the business, the mm -hmm. CEO, CFO, uh, treasurer. Uh, make sure to highlight unique skills or technical expertise among the members of your team. Mm -hmm. your, your company description should also define your business structure such as sole proprietorship partnership or corporation and include the percent ownership that each owner has and the extent of each ownership owner's involvement in the company lastly it should cover the history of your company uh, the nature of your business this prepares the reader to learn more about your goals uh, in your company and have you seen um, so a lot of companies like pre-revenue because they're trying to go pitch to, you know, uh, venture capital guys, investors. Have you seen in the, in a rep, in, in the instance of the pre-revenue, the age of the company or the age of the entrepreneurs themselves have an effect on how venture capitalists or investors look at whether they want to take the deal or not? Uh, you, I mean, it could be a combination, right? The age of the owners of the company. And also, I think most angel investors or, you know, potential investors look at the experience, right? Mm -hmm. They want to know the background. Do you have a banking background if you're trying to pitch something in the financial markets, right? If you're trying to pitch something in pharmaceuticals, do you have a, a relationship with pharmaceutical companies or do you have any experience in in pharma, you know, do you have any due diligence background in, uh, you know, research on R&D on certain pills that's coming out, right? Yeah. They like to look for experienced uh, individuals running a company, uh, especially starting out. And, you know, the age comes with it, but mostly they, they want to know that they're investing with people that have experience, that are knowledgeable, and that are connected with individuals or have resources that are relevant in that space to give them 
uh, a comfort level, obviously. And also, obviously, w- whenever you're investing your money, you want it to be safe and, you know, return return of uh, decent uh, uh, income or a profit. So you want to make sure that you're investing with individuals that are experienced in that space and are knowledgeable. Right. Right. And as we're working our way through these steps, guys, I want you to visualize where you are in your business or in your business idea. You know, usually when people make a business, it's something they have a passion about, or as Mike stated, some inherent or learned knowledge, skill in that space, right? So if you open up a restaurant, have you been cooking your whole life? Did you go to culinary school? Like, what about this business space? Do you already have some knowledge in that you've garnered or, you know, you just kind of have innately on your skill set? So that's very critical in trying to communicate the value that you bring as a business owner to an investor or um, a lender, things of that nature. Step three, state your business goals. So what's not a goal is something you can't measure, right? So let's let's start there. So just put that out there. I want to be a millionaire isn't a goal, right? So Mike, how can somebody make an objective statement that has measurable um, milestones to get to like business goals that they can put and, and eloquently write in their business plan? Sure. So just to reiterate, third step, state your business goals, right? So third part of a business plan is objective statement. Uh, this section spells out exactly what you like to accomplish, both in the near term and long term. If you're looking for a business loan or outside investment, you can use this section to explain why you have a clear need for the funds, how the financing will help your business grow, how you plan to achieve your growth targets. The key is to provide a clear explanation on the opportunity presented and how the loan or investment will grow your company. So you have to be very detailed. For example, if your business is launching a second product line, you might explain how the loan will help your company launch the new product and how much you think in sales will increase over the next three years as a result. So going back to what Dom said, it has to be measurable, right? It has to be something that is a planned goal, measurable, and has data sets where you can actually take a look at the increase or decrease uh, over the next month over month or year over year. So some way where you can track it. And, you know, we, we look at these things with the acronym of SMART, right? SMART goals. So what's SMART goal? Specific, measurable, achievable <coughs> is, is key, guys. Achievable is key. So again, if we've never sold anything ever, we've never, we don't have experience in a business, and then we tell a, um, an investor, yeah, our business is going to do $20 million in 24 months, that invests them, okay, cool. Like, how is that achievable? Like, how is that achievable when you have no experience in this space? You don't have any relevant knowledge about the consumer base, and there are no a- allies right already in the space for you. And so, we have to understand that achievable achievability is the is the most important part of having a goal just in life, not even talking about a business, but what is the probability that we can achieve this thing? The R in SMART goals is relevant. How relevant, how pertinent is it to what we're doing? And then time bound, we got to put a time constraint on it. So as you're making your business plan and you're thinking, okay, I need $100,000 to um, help me with the renovation of the building and to get a delivery vehicle um, up in the first 12 months because delivery is going to equate to 40% of my revenue, right? Because I can, I can go out, I can have a driver go out and deliver products to people 
while some people might not want to come into the store or come into the restaurant, we can bring their order to them. Though that would be something that you could uh, write as a goal that allows the investor or the the financer, the lender to understand. Okay, what the what the money is going to be used for? How does it equate to bottom line effect? And where are some tangible things that that are going to be a part of that? You know, property, plant, and equipment is always something good because you know lenders, especially, are like hey. If you don't pay me back, <laughs> there's some there's some assets that I could I could take off your hands, right? Same thing with a, an investor. An investor is going to figure out if I don't get the cash back in this sixty months, um, you know, forty eight months, at least there's assets in there that have some type of value as well. So smart goals are key, measurable, achievable relevant time bound but also very very specific so you don't want to be vague about your goals you want your goals to be specific and you can you guys can look up smart goals you know google it if you forget after this podcast but definitely make sure that all your goals follow that acronym the next part of the business plan describe your products and services so this is this is key um, because i think a lot of people miss I think a lot of people miss what exactly their company is doing when they start a when they start a business. Uh, case in point, people say that let's just use Chick Fil A for example. I know people that like, man. Every time I hear Don talk, he talks about Chick Fil A. It's just such a well known uh, brand, and it's it's a good example because you see anytime you go to a Chick Fil A, number one, Chick Fil A is usually around other restaurants, other fast casual restaurants, whether it's in a mall, in the food court, or it's on a strip. Usually in a, if you see a Chick-fil-A, it's usually in a strip mall situation or you know, next to some other commercial hub where you're gonna have a Wendy's, you're gonna have a McDonald's, you're gonna have Chipotle, you're gonna have Qdoba, whether it's outside or inside. Um, and so the point of the matter is Chick-fil-A's product, chicken products, you know, nuggets, sandwiches, things of that nature are what you see and what you buy. But why do you choose Chick-fil-A over all these other places that you usually find around a Chick-fil-A? So you have the tangible product or service, but then you also have the invisible product and service that go into uh, differentiation in your business so i think we're going to talk about both in this section and mike give me give me kind of an example or an explanation of how somebody can eloquently talk about their product and service in section four sure uh let me just detail that uh for the audience again so section four describe your products and services in this section you're going to detail the products and services you offer or plan to offer uh, you should include the following, uh, an explanation on how your product or service works, the pricing model of your product or service, the typical customers you serve, your supply chain and order fulfillment strategy, your sales strategy, your distribution strategy. You can also discuss current or pending trademarks and patents associated with your product or service. So again, going back to the Chick-fil-A example, you want to explain, you know, what the products are that you're offering. Uh, obviously, chicken sandwiches, chicken nuggets, and other food products there. Yeah, you want to talk about the pricing model, right? How did you price the product and what came about? You know, is, is it the cost of goods associated with delivery costs that was embedded in the calculation? Um or was it other items uh, as well, right? And then you want to focus on the typical customers. You know, what's your demographics? Is it uh, young professionals? Is it middle-aged individuals? Is it a combination of, you know, both? Is it target audience, uh, younger generation that's looking for, you know, fast casual? Uh, you got to know your audience and who you're trying to target, and that's key. And then supply chain. Uh, you know, what vendors you're using. 
And why did you select that vendor, you know, in terms of negotiated price or food delivery timing that's uh, sufficient for you guys in that space for Chick-fil-A? And then your sales strategy, right? How, how do you market it? Are you are you using commercials, uh, word of mouth, or just ads uh, on the street corners? So all this go into the uh, products and services of uh, Section Four. And and pricing is interesting because people, I think, a lot of early entrepreneurs shoot themselves in the foot with the pricing piece. How? how would you recommend somebody coming up with their pricing schedule and, you know, let's stay in the fast casual kind of menu um, lane, you know, Chick-fil-A, like we mentioned, they're selling chicken, chicken in all forms, but it's chicken. They don't got tacos. They don't have this. They don't have that. So what's the best way for somebody to like say, okay, cool. This is what I want to sell. This is the quantity of, choices that I'm going to have and then how to finally get it down to the price. Like how can somebody make those decisions? Sure. So one of the key things that I focus on if I'm starting out a business is doing research and the goal goes back to research and knowing your competitors, right? So if you're trying to sell chicken sandwiches, obviously look at other chicken sandwich spots, right? What, what's the pricing model they use? And how can you try to stay competitive or actually make it better, but actually a little bit cheaper than them? Because if you're a new company, uh, market entry is a bit challenging, but you want to go into that space, maybe you can make your product uh, better. You know, that could be a bigger sandwich uh, at a cheaper, cheaper price or uh, additional combo, uh, you know, fries or drink combination that's actually cheaper uh, versus theirs because they're already established and you're new. So you want to kind of make a name for yourself and try to get into that space. You might want to, again, make your product better, uh, bigger, and then put the price point at a lower, uh, lower price just to get the market entry. And then obviously over time, when you gain that traction, such as Chick-fil-A and you get that following, whether it's on social media or just in person, then you can adjust your price, right? So again, there's no secret formula to coming up with the pricing. It's more of a trial and error, but you have to start at some point. And we're not saying guess, we're saying do market research. We're saying look at the competitors. So you have an idea of what to price it at. And then obviously you can adjust accordingly uh, like most companies do. And keeping in the mind that your company, your business should be designed to grow. So if you're if you're the only cook making these sandwiches and it becomes popular, <coughs> now you have to have the pricing model that allows you to bring on other cooks, uh, hostess, somebody that's ringing up at the front, maybe somebody that's answering the phone. So understanding that pricing should also include um, operational costs that are current, but projected costs that are going to be coming down the pipe. Because to Mike's point, and well, to Mike's point, but I'll add, you know, an interpretation to it. We create our customers' behavior. We create our customers' behavior. As the business owners, we allow or dictate the customer's expectations and experiences. Again, with, Ch- with Chick-fil-A, every other place is open on Sundays. Chick-fil-A is like, we're not open. So you're not going to see a line of customers in Chick-fil-A's drive-thru waiting on Sunday to get Chick-fil-A. If you're driving down the highway and you see rest stop and you see, you know, RB's, Burger King, Exxon, gas station, the Chick-fil-A on that rest stop sign is going to say underneath Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays. You know, just so you don't get off at that exit thinking you're going to get some Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. It's reminding you this is the customer experience that you're going to get from us. But also the thank yous that have a nice day. How may I help you? The free refills on your soft drinks. All those things 
are equated into the price is the point, right? Chick-fil-A knows they're missing out a day on sales. They know that they're going to give you free refills on your drink. They have usually a large staff working because they want to get you in and out, right? They want to get the food served to you quickly because the lines are long. So they're all about this experience that screams we care about the consumer. And they're creating consumer behavior with the things they're investing in. And so are you. So if you set a price point that's only that can only afford one person making a chicken sandwich, but then you become the hottest thing on the block and now you have to hire five more people and you change your price point, the consumers are going to be a little bit leery about what the price point change, right? Because you set that expectation already. So just have an idea about what you want to do and where the company's growing and bake that in to your, your initial your initial pricing uh, so that your company can grow without much change on the consumer side. Um, and as Mike pointed out, a lot of that is done with market research, which is step five. And I think probably the least enticing, sexy part of the business plan for most people is like sitting down and doing some research and market analysis. Talk, break us down, Mike. What happens in step five that makes this so critical? And why do, why do a lot of people want to ignore it? Sure. So again, step five, do your market research. Lenders and investors will want to know what sets your product apart from your competition. Uh, in your market analysis section, explain who your competitors are, as we mentioned. Discuss what they do well and point out what you can do better. If you're serving a different or underserved market, explain that. So again, going back to uh, Dom's point and my initial point about uh, you have to do your research, know your competitors, right? Know who are the other companies you're competing against with and look at their products and services. Uh, What's selling well? in terms of their products. You know, is it chicken sandwiches? Is it burgers? How can we compete with them? And then look at your own product line, you know, focus on what you can do best and obviously hone your skills and invest, do R&D in that aspect and try to stand out. Because if you have a product that stands out, your consumer or customer base will acknowledge that. And that's how you grow a following because Consistency is key, right? As Don mentions, if it's something that they are used to, you know, whether it's closed on Sundays or a typical taste of a particular sandwich that they're used to, keep the consistency there. Meaning if they go to other locations, they know what to expect. Mm-hmm. There's no surprises. And just like anything in banking or other companies, we look for consistency because that way we can look for patterns and ways to look at data. And that goes hand in hand with consistency of your products and services. You know what to expect from your consumers and they know what to expect from you. So you kind of build that relationship. And that's part of the key of why Chick-fil-A is so successful. They sell products that the consumers like. It's consistent. They know what to expect every time. They get in and out at a certain at a certain time that they expect and it just runs pretty smoothly. So when the consumers expect that kind of consistency and you can provide it, you have a great product that, you know, is a formula for uh, success. Consistency is key. And not only is it key in production, it's also key in messaging and going into step six, outline your marketing and sales plan. So addressing how you plan to communicate to consumers is, is, the, is the way that you compete in a market that can be oversaturated. So how, what's different about our company? What's different about our approach? How can we communicate that consistently because the customer's not going to come the first time they hear about 
your your business, they're going to come after they heard about it for the thousandth time or the hundredth time, or they're going to come when they're ready to come, when they're ready to patronize your business. So, Mike, walk us through the proper way to outline our marketing and sales plan and, and what type of timeline should we have on these marketing cycles? Yeah, definitely. So a typical timeline, you will look at 30-day, 60-day, 90-day timelines to market these uh, these uh, marketing plans and sales plans. And obviously, one of the key aspects is to re, uh, reflect on the data uh, that is processed, you know, within the timelines, you know, 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days, and adjust. Just keep in mind, the overall goal is to have repeat customers, right? So if you're focused on that, you'll try to make your product better and adjust accordingly with, you know, c- consumer feedback because, you know, we're in the business for the long haul. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like most businesses, we're not looking for one-time customers. So it has to be repeat customers and we have to look at their behavior, you know, their likes and dislikes, you know, what product is uh, selling, right? We have to look at the inventory, you know, what items are selling, what items are not selling, and focus on the ones uh, obviously that are selling and have a good connection with the consumer base, right? So if you're able to focus on that, you can produce more of those products that are being uh, purchased by the consumers. And then uh, look at the growth, as Don mentioned uh, previously. You know, growth is important. So, you know, the reason we put 30-day, 60-day, 90-day targets in there is to go back and analyze the data again and see where we can adjust and then provide, you know, the products accordingly or enhance the product uh, if necessary. And iteration is is always going to be in the business. The business is always looking at things to improve. So it's not failure. It's um, it's kind of just litmus testing, right? So if this thing didn't sell, okay, why is it not selling? Why is this other thing selling more? Another thing about business, another thing about consumers, so one thing we talked about are consumers like consistency. Consumers understand consistency. And like we said, we set the consumer's behavior. But alternatively, consumers create the value. Consumers are going to tell you what they care about what they want and how they want it. It's up to you to be listening to these to these conversations. And these conversations are usually done with their money, with their reviews, or kind of anecdotally with comments inside the business. So like, oh, you know, I love this, but I wish you guys could do and it's not to say that you have to take every consumer's um, anecdotal feedback and make all these changes. But the things that are consistent amongst consumers and their feedback, he's, oh, okay, cool. Like, man, I wish you guys are open an hour later because I, I get off at 6.30. Well, you're not going to change for one guy, but what if 80% of your consumers are like, man, you know, I wish you guys closed at 8 because then I could get here. So those are the things that you have to look for and listen for and iterate the business based off the consumer's one one great example of how consumers make your business is Twitter. Well, formerly Twitter, now known as X. I don't, I don't know how they came up with X, but <laughs> so Twitter was never designed to be or to be used how it was used, how we come to know it. Twitter was supposed to be a lot like Slack. So if you don't know what Slack is, Slack is an inner office kind of communication tool. Twitter's Twitter's founders initially to be used like that inside the office kind of like hey mike what are you doing oh you know i'm just getting back from you know lunch okay cool like i have this i have to look at this pnl can you come real fast so twitter was supposed to be inner office communication very quick messaging that's why the character count was 140 just you know pinging each other back and forth then consumers got a hold of it and started using it as like a gossip channel for you know um what do they call it they call it uh popular news you know so they're sports tv 
and then celebrities got a hold of it and they just started putting like their random thoughts on there and now it's one of the things where twitter twitter's founders were like what do we do with this because this isn't what we want it to be but the consumers got a hold of it and they turned it into what they wanted it to be and twitter had to adapt and they had to create ads and they had to create you know um kind of behavior behavior guidelines and all those things to adapt to how the market was using it so understanding that you're, once your consumers get a hold of what you got they're going to turn it into what they want you got to be as quick with the iterations as they are with their wallet or purse and be ready to see that change on the bottom line which is what we're going to talk about now which is step seven performing a business financial analysis so in here, we got net profit margin, current ratio, uh, accounts receivable, turnover rate, burn rate. We got COGS, cost of goods sold. We got a lot of great things. This step seven can be like a, a two-year course just in and of itself. <clears throat> Mike, I know you live in this realm. How important is step seven, understanding business financials? And remember what we said in the beginning. They're going to read the executive summary, and then they're going to go straight to your finances. So. Mike, take it away, brother. Yeah, definitely. So step seven, uh, business financial analysis, right? So if you're a startup, you may not have that, that much information on your business financials. However, if you're an existing business, you'll want to include <clears throat> profit and loss statements, a balance sheet that lists your assets and debits and debts, and a cash flow statement that uh, shows how your cash comes into play of the company so three of the three of the financials that we look at financial statements is balance sheet income statement and statement of cash flows obviously your balance sheet uh, includes your assets and your uh, liabilities and owner's equity income statement uh, has your income uh, and losses and one of the key things i like to point out is the cash flow statement so that's kind of like your the bloodline for uh, <clears throat> any business, right? You can make, you know, 10 million, 50 million a year. But if you don't have enough cash flow to run your day to day businesses, you probably won't last that long. So it's very key that you focus on your cash flow, you know, the, the operational costs, the inventory costs, and overhead, right? Your employees, making sure that you have enough funds on hand to run your operations on a day-to-day -day basis, making sure you have reserve for uh, disasters that is uh, uh, not accounted for uh, expectedly, but uh, unexpectedly you want to account for that, you know, whether there's, you know, a kitchen fire, uh, since we're on the topic of Chick-fil-A or um, any kind of issues like that, you want to have reserves on hand because if you don't, then again, it cuts into your cash flow. Now you can run your day-to-day -day operations, whether it's for a week or a month, and that obviously will be you know, detrimental to the company itself. So again, looking at the numbers is key because it tells you uh, where your current health of the company is. Uh, obviously, we have different types of metrics we focus on. Net profit margin, you know, the percentage of revenue you keep as net income. Uh, current ratio, the measurement of liquidity and ability to repay your debts, accounts receivable turnover ratio, a measurement of how frequently you collect on your receivables per year, right? So again, receivables is money due to you that's given out as credit. So it's the accrual basis where you're taking into account the numbers on your uh, books, even though you haven't received cash, but you're expected to receive cash in the future. So uh, it's a bit risky in terms of not 100% of the accounts receivables are received. So you have to look at that turnover ratio and see, you know, uh, what percentage you're at. So a key focus is to look at all your numbers, right? You know, on a daily basis, making sure it reconciles weekly, monthly, and year over year, and looking at growth. That's the only way you can kind of focus on, you know, what items are selling, how your growth percentages are uh, year over year, or if there's a decrease, what types of products are contributing to that. So that breakdown definitely helps you focus on how to grow your company, 
you know, and what areas to cut back on, right? So it's not just about growing, it's also about cutting back on uh, different types of costs or unnecessary expenses uh, that you might incur during the life of the business. Which flows right into projections, step eight or part eight. So again, we go back to smart. Are they, are they attainable? Are the projections attainable? and realistic. So Mike, what's the best way to project? I mean, we're talking, you know, sure. over a three-year period, so four-year financial period. projections, right? Yeah. That's number eight. Uh, again, this is a critical part of the business plan if you're seeking financing or investors. Uh, this is the part where it outlines how your business will generate enough profit to repay the loan or how you will earn a decent return for the investors. Here, you'll provide business monthly, quarterly sales, expenses, profit estimates over at least a three-year period uh, with future numbers assuming you've obtained a new loan. Uh, and again, we wanted to stress that accuracy is key. So carefully analyze your past financial statements before giving projections. Your goals may be aggressive, but they should also be realistic. Going back to what Dom mentioned before, attainable uh, goals, right? It has to be realistic, right? It can't be so far-fetched that you can't reach it where it doesn't even become a goal, right? It's just something that's out of your reach. So, you know, whenever you're trying to set a goal, look at the past uh, revenue if, you, if you're if you an existing company and try to come up with a realistic growth uh, target for yourself, right? That's something, you know, could be like 10%, 15% growth, right? Something realistic, you know? Uh, you probably don't think you're going to triple your projections in one year. Uh, that's too aggressive and it not, might not be attainable, right? So whereas that goal might not even be useful. So again, be realistic with yourself. Look at the data that you have from prior quarters or prior years. And that gives you a sense of basis of what to project on. And that goes back to looking at your competitors as well, right? You know, what types of products sell? Well, look at your competitors. You know, what's doing well in the restaurant retail space, right? Is it chicken sandwiches? Is it burgers? And then gives you an idea, you know, what types of products are selling and moving off the shelf. And then you can focus uh, strategically on uh, coming up with a product or service in that space and also uh, look at areas of improving it so you can stand out from the competitors. Excellent. And then we mentioned this in the beginning, but part nine, the the appendix or the appendices where the supportive data is going to go as a, as, as a financial guy, how important is an organized appendix for you when you're looking at business plans or, uh, it's, it's or the, year end statements, you know, from clients? Sure. Well, it, it is crucial because it gives you uh, a section where you can have adjustments that you previously didn't know about that has obviously occurred throughout the year. And it's another section that gives you an opportunity to have those add-ins or additional materials mm -hmm. that wasn't particularly uh, a fit anywhere else. And uh, such as resumes of key employees, uh, you know, these types of information could be on there. Resumes of key employees, uh, licenses, equipment, uh, leases, permits, patents, receipts, bank statements, contracts, personal and business credit history. All these are uh, considered uh, additional information to the appendix. And it's key because it's crucial information that, you know, is relevant to your company that might not necessarily be a fit in the other sections that we, as we mentioned. So this is kind of like a catch-all for information that you might have not uh, recorded previously but it is also a section for you to make sure that everything is complete. So that's why we uh, think of it as very important. And one thing that you mentioned um, that I know people overlook all the time is personal credit score. So something that's soft that, you know, we're looking at, okay, how's this business going to work? But we, and we bring people together to partner in this business, as Mike mentioned, you know, in your um, part two, business information section, who's in the business, 
you know, why are these people being chosen? Why are these people owners? Why are they members? Why are they shareholders? Why are they stakeholders? We've probably made, not probably, we've made more than um, 11,000 businesses over the course of our business history at Common Ground. And not one of those businesses ever asked or mentioned that they chose their partners because their partners had great credit scores. Like, it's more often than not, the businesses had partners where two of the partners had horrible credit scores or one of the partners had a horrible credit score and that partner needed to work with the other person because they had a great credit score. And so Mike pointing it out is so key because as soon as you go to the bank, lenders are like, hey, anybody more than 20-something percent we have to, they have to be a, a, um, a guarantor with the business. We got to run their credit. But also, it's understanding how your partners make decisions about their own lives, their own money. You know, are they in debt? Do they have, have they overspent on things? Are they responsible? So those are all key components that a lot of people ignore, maybe because of the tough conversation or they just, don't even think about it, but please, please, please make sure that when you're forming a business, your credit is intact. And if you have partners, their credit scores are, are reasonable as well, because that's the quickest way for you guys to start off on the wrong foot, especially with dealing with a lender. And believe you me, you know, having to pull the weight of somebody else because their credit score isn't good um, is, is, puts a lot of stress on the business. So here are some great sources to use. Um, obviously, you can always come to Common Ground Management, as you guys know, because you're listening to the podcast. But um, one free source, free resource is SCORE. So SCORE is a nonprofit association that offers some large network of value businesses and mentors, things like that. You have small business development centers across the country. Um as well, online, you guys can take advantage of Live Plan. They help with business plan creation. Um, also, you have Go Small Biz as another online tool. In Loop Biz Plan. So, um, take you kind of into my little uh, cheat sheet here. I love Biz Plan. I've been using Biz Plan for almost thirteen years. Just just because I love the templates they put together. Now we do all the work to fill out the info, but BizPlan has almost every industry in on their website and they have a template for you to kind of pull and, and build your own plans. Um, so definitely a big fan of BizPlan. Plan Guru is another one that you guys can take advantage of. So understanding the business plan is one thing. Writing the business plan is another. Lastly, before we conclude, the minute you put that period, that last period at the end of that business plan, you have to understand that everything that you wrote is now or could be obsolete because the markets change that quick. The world changes that fast, especially now with social media. So the business plan is not the end all be all of the success of your business. It's a snapshot of time and of ideas, but you always got to be iterating um, always got to be understanding the market research that you did is probably from a year ago. And now you put it in this plan, but the markets still are alive. They're still moving. So what's changed, right? As uh, Mike said, you might have new assumptions that go into the appendices. So Mike, how do you, how do we conclude and any last thoughts for, our, for these guys? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I think the takeaway here is a business plan is crucial. Uh, it gives you an outline of the areas of focus. Uh, but going back to your point, it's a living, breathing document, right? So that means it's subject to change depending on the markets, depending on your own business, and it's uh, subject to adjustments, right? So it's it's good in the sense that it gives you some type of structure and an outline uh, of basis where to start from, but also uh, is... A live document where it can change and adjust uh, with your business, depending on your growth, depending on your product lines or types of services that you're offering. 
So again, it's good to have in terms of an outline and it gives you some kind of a structure to follow. Uh, but again, it's not uh, written in stone as Don mentioned, right? It's uh, subject to adjustments and changes. And if you're able to be nimble and adjust with the times, mm-hmm. uh, like most companies, you'll be able to do uh, uh, pretty successful things in your company. So, you know, being flexible, being nimble, looking at the markets, look, doing your own research, I think it's key. Uh, and again, a lot of hard work goes into it. So uh, just have to be flexible. Absolutely. So like we said, you guys can tap into this article at www.nerdwallet.com forward slash article forward slash small hyphen business forward slash business hyphen plan. And we'll put that in the notes of the podcast as well. So to the article that we referenced today, it's at nerdwallet.com. One more time, nerdwallet.com forward slash article forward slash small hyphen business forward slash business hyphen plan. Can't thank you guys enough for tuning into season five's episode two, business plans on behalf of Common Ground Management. I'm Dominique Landry. That was Michael Pay. We'll see you guys on uh, episode three next week. And I would be remiss if I don't kind of throw this last promo out. Speaking of balance sheets, uh, we have a new club coming out. I think we decided on the name. Are we, 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 we're both filling balance sheet club, right? Yes. Yes. We're filling yeah, I'm that? on board. We're yes. on board with that? I'm on board. Yeah, right, I'm on so board. Look, we look, <laughs> we want to look out for balance sheet club. It's a new, it's a new subscription based membership that Mike and I will have. And we're all assets, liabilities. And the balance sheet just represents the health of you as a person and the health and wealth of your business if you're doing it for your business. So that's why I think Balance Sheet Club is a great name because we're always talking about better better businesses for bigger pockets, how to build wealth, how to invest. And I can't think of anything that best describes that as the Balance Sheet Club. I don't know. I, I like it. I like it. I think it's smooth. I don't know. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> thanks guys Mike I can't thank you enough man for taking your time as always you. see you guys next episode peace <coughs> oh, <coughs>